So just keep it down, all right? We want to go. We're in church. We're in church, okay? All right? Shh, shh. Okay. It's much better. Uh, I think we're going to be shocked when we get to heaven how loud it is. How gloriously loud it is. And just, and just so totally in, in God's order, but so out of order, too, you know? So, guys, great worship this morning. Come on. Amen. Awesome. Didn't know Seth was turning into a country western singer, but he is. When that second song, buddy, the little Randy Travis happening or something, whatever, you know. Come on. I have, I have to say something on Rifle's uh, announcement about squirrels playing baseball. I don't know what image you got in your mind. If you're not aware, we have a minor league baseball team. They're out of San Francisco, and uh, they're called the Flying Squirrels. So, But if you didn't know that, we're inviting you to come out and watch the squirrels play baseball May have a little bit different image in your mind, but I loved it. I thought it was so great, man. It really was. Hallelujah. We're going to have a great morning. I am. We're going to have a couple of testimonies and words from the Lord. And Nicole, I don't know if she's back downstairs. Is she working with the kids? Great word from her this morning. My wife is going to preach. I'm going to preach. So uh, just buckle in. We're going to be here for a while. Going to have the Lord's Supper. So uh, uh, we may we may actually go over just a little bit this morning. So if you have to leave, we understand. We will stare at you, but uh, we understand that sometimes you have to do your thing and leave a little early. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> but uh, no, really, I'm just kidding with you. That if you do have to leave early, we do understand, and uh, and you just have to put an extra offering in the bag before you leave. Okay. Hallelujah. Jennifer Riley, come up here, Miss Riley. <clears throat> Steve and Jennifer Riley have been a vital, amazing part of our church now for three years, almost three years, almost three years. Uh, we knew when they, when they came here that <clears throat> according to with her job, there may be op- opportunity or possibility that you will be being transferred. And they are being transferred. And they're being transferred to Denmark. How about that? And Copenhagen. So next time you are in the neighborhood of Copenhagen, you can drop in and see the Rileys. But she's got a great testimony. They went this past week to find a home. And she wants to share what God did. Thank you. So, good morning. Um, I made some notes because I have to keep it under 10 minutes. But I want to give you a little bit of background and context so that the testimony um, makes some sense. We are so excited. So, Steve and I and our daughter, Kalia, left last Saturday. And we went to Denmark to find a home. And we're renting a home. And we prayed about it. And we had seen some homes. And... Um, and so we, we embarked on this search with our agent, this relocation expert. So uh, to give you just a little bit of background, um, Denmark is a post-Christian country. So about 91% of the uh, citizens there actually belong to the state church, 
which means that they tithe 1.5% of their income through taxes so that they can do things like baptisms and marriage. It's really a social function. But about 85% of the country considers themselves to be atheists. So if you can imagine, church membership and atheism is pretty close. So uh, we weren't really expecting to find a lot of people who knew the Lord, but there are churches. There are churches beyond the state churches. But So when I found out that we were going to Denmark, I reached out to my college roommate who's living in Austria right now, and she said, hey, you know, I have a friend who just moved to Denmark um, as an expat. Let me connect you. So her name is Katie. I've never met Katie. Katie and I have been emailing back and forth for a couple of months. She's been giving me all this great information. And Katie at one point said, hey, I don't know if you guys have a church in mind, but we go to this little Baptist English-speaking church. I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. So anyway, that's the, that's the backstory. So we're looking at these houses, and we, we go to this fifth house, and uh, we loved it. We were like halfway through, and I said to Steve, this is the house. I love this house. This is, this is great. It's perfect for our family. And normally when you look at houses in Denmark, you don't meet the owner. You meet their agent. Well, in this case, the agent was there, but the owner was there as well. And so we met him. He came and introduced himself, and he spoke to us for a few minutes, and then he turned to go, and he said, uh, where are you from? Because his English was an Ameri- like an American. And he said, oh, I'm Danish. And I said, oh, well, your, your English sounds like you're an American. And, and he said, well, I'm married to an American, and we did live in, in the U.S. for a while. And he went on to tell us, this is the home that I was raised in. My parents live next door. And, uh, and we raised our five boys here. But they're raised, they're, they're grown now. It's just too big for us. So we're going to live, you know, in town. And it's okay. It's very interesting. And he goes on to say, I, I just brought my son to Chicago. Uh, he's going to North Park College. And then he goes, that's a Christian school. So I said, well, that's funny. My dad went to North Park College. That's pretty cool. Uh, But I didn't think much more about it, except I thought it was odd that he specifically said that's a Christian school. So uh, we saw a little bit more of the house, and Steve and I were very excited. We're standing in the kitchen talking, and he comes in. He's a very humble man, and he said, I'm so sorry, but I overheard you say you have a dog. We just can't have a dog in this house. You know, the floors, we just refinished the floors. We just, it's not what we want. And we're like, oh, really? It's a great dog. She won't scratch her floors. No, I'm so sorry. So we didn't see the rest of the house. Said, thanks so much. Great to meet you. And we left. So we're driving on to the next house. We're about 10 minutes into the drive. And I just was like, Lord, I just really felt like that was our house. So I'm just praying in the back seat. I'm like, Lord, if that's supposed to be our house, would you change their hearts or somehow open their hearts to be, you know, willing to talk to us again. And as I'm praying, our, uh, our agent gets a phone call and he answers the phone and he ex- has an exchange in Danish and he hangs up. He goes, well, they've just called back. He said, uh, their agent, uh, said he's going to talk to the owner because, uh, he, he thinks that, you know, you guys would be you know, great. And, uh, they had originally told us they would take a dog, et cetera, et cetera. So you, you guys can come and see it tomorrow. It's not a done deal, but you can come and see it tomorrow. So he's okay, great. So we go back the next day and he's there and he said, well, let's just sit down and let's talk. So we showed him some pictures of our house so he could see the dog hadn't scratched the floors. And we showed him a video of our dog and, we got talking and this and that, and then he says, uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm the pastor of a, of a little English-speaking Baptist church here in town. We said, really? 
do you know Katie? And we've met, we've exchanged emails with her husband. And he said, yes, well, they go to our church. <laughs> we said, oh, <laughs> that's a really small world. So his, his wife, yeah, God is amazing. His, his wife came over and I said, you know, yesterday I was praying in the car told her the story. She starts crying. She said, we've been praying for Christians to be in this home. And, you know, our parents live next door. We want the right people in this house. And um, then his parents came over and they love the Lord. And so in this post-Christian nation, God had this fantastic house and people who love the Lord. And yeah, really exciting. So Well, we're real excited. Well, kind of excited. Well, not a whole lot. No. <laughs> uh, Stephen, Jennifer, next Sunday will be their last Sunday with us, so we'll pray for them and send them out with much blessing. And I uh, just want to say you guys are awesome. We love you. We are going to miss you terribly. There you go. That's all I needed to hear, honey. I'm there. I've never vacationed in Copenhagen, but I'm looking forward to it. Hallelujah. Thank you for sharing that. That, that was incredible. Isn't it, isn't it wonderful how God, he, does, he, he, knows, he knows everything. He knows the, everything down the road for us, and he's, he just brings it all about, whether it's just meeting someone that you we're not planning to meet. It's a divine appointment. I was talking with Rudy and John this morning, and just this week, this past week, they had a divine appointment as John was fishing, and uh, and just uh, uh, and Jesus caught him, and so uh, and uh, he's become a fisher of men now. Hallelujah. John, I was remembering that yesterday was my birthday. Uh, well, it was my spiritual birthday. My other birthday, if you want to know, is December the 15th. You can go ahead and start going to Amazon, picking out gifts, whatever you want to do. It's fine. But uh, my spiritual birthday was on July 16th, 1972, 44 years ago, that uh, my life changed. My life changed. It was like walking into another world, literally. I, uh, everything changed in my life in a moment. Now, the, the thing about it is that I have been now for 44 years learning what that change is all about and learning how to walk that out. And that's another story. <laughs> it's a long story, you know, and I tell you, and I'm still learning, and I'm realizing that as I look back over my life, I've seen God do a lot of amazing things, but I'm not where I want to be yet. So much more. As it says in the, in the Word that, in, in the, I believe in the book of Ephesians, it talks about that God is able to do above and beyond all that we can ever ask, think, dream of. He's able to do that. Well, I'm, I'm still dreaming. I'm still dreaming more. 
I know there's more. You know, and it's, it's that I have found that what has tripped me up along the way, because we all get tripped up along the way, what trip, has tripped me up along the way is not terrible, gross sin. Now, sin is sin. We understand that. God doesn't rate sin on some type of chart or whatever. Sin is sin. It's missing the mark of what God has designed for you and I. But I found that it hasn't been that I left Cindy or I've had an affair or I've gotten out and I've stole from people or I've done this or that or has been that. But I found a thing that has messed me up, tripped me up, is my thinking, is my mind. Because according to God's Word, what God offers us is an amazing life. He says that I've come to give life and give life more abundantly. We all know that that means in the Word, when you translate that thing on down, it means super abundance. It's just like over-the-top type of abundance. And I know that things that that keep me from that, I have realized over the years, is wrong thinking. And uh, and we want to talk, Cindy and I want to talk about that a little bit this morning. It's funny how uh, even in Nicole's words, she touched on that. And um, so our, we want to talk about breaking the chains of a wilderness mentality. There's an amazing passage in the scriptures in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Many of us just know it by heart already. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. God outlines here that those who have chosen to be in Christ, that you have been baptized into Christ because of a, because of a, a decision that you've made, a prayer, decision, whatever, that you have said, listen, I can't live my life the way I've been living it, and I look to Christ, and I repent, I change my mind, change my heart, and, and, I, and I choose Jesus. I choose Jesus. And in choosing Jesus this verse tells us three things, that at that moment, we become a new creation. No ifs, ands, or buts. We become a new creation. I mean, that alone ought to just cause us to erupt out of our seats, start cheering, because, listen, I, I know what the old creation looked like, and I never want to go back to that, and I don't think you do either. New creation I love this. Old things have passed away, like what Nicole was saying. What does that mean? From this second, everything in the past is gone. If it's under the blood, it's gone. It is forgotten. He doesn't remember it. And doesn't that just blow your thinking? If anything blows your thinking, I don't know about you, but to think, all oh, I could recall, I could go back and recall all the goofy stuff I did apart from Jesus. And the wonderful thing about it, even though I can still remember it, he doesn't remember it. God doesn't remember it because I've repented. I've asked him to forgive me, 
and he doesn't remember it anymore. I mean, that's, to me, that's amazing. And then it says, behold. Everybody say, behold. All things have become new. Fill in the blank, people. Fill in the blank. That's the life. That's the walk that God has, God has put together for you, that his son died for, for you. New creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. And I believe that we all desire that we want to see that. We want to taste it. We want to live in it. We want to walk in it. We want to do. And again and again, it's our thinking in a wrong place messes us up. Mike, come up here. Mike came up to me this morning. He said, God showed me something. God's always showing Mike something. God showed me something. And he, I said, well, I said, I said, we got a lot of stuff going on this morning, Mike, but uh, maybe we'll have time. Even if we don't, we'll just go, we'll go late. And it's your fault. Okay, no, I'm just kidding. But he said, and I said, well, I said, uh, as the service goes on, if, it's, if it feels like it's a good fit, let me know. And about three seconds later, he comes back with a bulletin. I just read the bulletin. It's a fit. It's a fit. It's all about new creation. Oh, my goodness. All right. This is the first scripture. <clears throat> Therefore, from now on, we recognize no man according to the flesh, even though we've known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him no longer. Therefore, if any man is Christ, is a new creature. Old things have passed away, and old things have become new. <laughs> so that's the first scripture I was going to share. Um, <laughs> Doug, I... I probably don't need to share it. No, really, this this is, I, I'm sure some of you may have heard this before, but it was new to me. And to give you a little background, a couple few years back, um, my wife has a um, cousin who's a psychologist in South Florida, and she said, you guys have got to come down and see South Beach. She said, I don't know how much longer it's going to be there, but you got to come see it. So we did. We went down, booked a room at South Beach. Now, there's no parking in South Beach. There's no parking lots. There's no parking garages. You go to the hotel, you give them your keys, they take your car somewhere. You want it, they bring you back. You don't see it. The only parking I could see is on the street. Well, in the evening, the only cars allowed to park on the street are Lamborghinis, Bentleys, Ferraris, no, no BMWs, no Mercedes. That's too, too low class. Um, so I thought, well, now, wow, this is really some cool cars. So what the cousin said was, you have to go to the Delano right after dark. Don't wait because it'll fill up, and then unless you're staying there, you won't be able to get in. It's too expensive to stay there. So about 9.30, we went there. You walk into the lobby, and there's these 16-foot-high curtains hanging from the ceiling about six feet wide to about a foot from the floor, just gently waving in the breeze. You go through these curtains, and there's these young people ages like 25 to 35, all well-dressed, well-groomed, the most gorgeous young people you ever saw sitting around having nice, quiet conversations. You go through the del- through the lobby into the back pool area. There's probably 200 of these young people. Nobody's being, uh, no one's acting bad. They're all just having nice, quiet conversations. Nothing wrong with this scene. I, I, now, we only stayed about 10 minutes, so I don't know. Maybe the party started when we left. 
But this was, it was nothing wrong with this. It was just a really nice scene. And so we're like, wow, yeah, that was something to see. All right, I'm glad we saw that. Well, I hadn't even thought about it until a couple Sundays ago. During the worship, I saw these curtains. On the hems of the curtains were these hands going like that, beckoning. I thought, now, wow, what are you saying here, Lord? I thought, well, you know, if, if you're a person in that age group, pretty well off financially, and could fit into that scene, that would be a pretty irresistible scene. Um, and I thought, well, what are you trying to say? So the Lord began to show me and give me scriptures, and that was the first scripture. The second scripture is um, in First uh, Corinthians 2, verse 9. Things which I have seen... Things which eye has not seen and ears not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things freely given to us by God. And what God began to show me was, you think that was a nice scene? Look at my church. And the Lord began to give me visuals of individuals in the church. I can't even describe it. I can't describe how we look to God. You know, I always thought, well, God loves us because he's loved. That's his nature. It's who he is. It's what he's like. Well, there's more to it than that. God loves us because we are irresistible to him. We have been reborn and made into the image of God in our spirit. And we are unbelievably glorious and gorgeous. And we're irresistible to God. When he looks at us, he's so in love with us, he can hardly stand it. That's who we are. I can't really describe what I've seen. I mean, I, you know, in the Bible, people went, went to heaven, came back, and tried to describe a little bit and said, I really can't describe it. I really, I couldn't, I couldn't draw a picture. There's no way I could put it into words how glorious we really are if we're born again. And that's what God sees when he sees the church. You know, I've seen some beautiful nature scenes all different places in the world, but they're all creations. God himself is far more glorious and beautiful than anything he's ever created, and we look like that. That's us. It's amazing, Mike. Thank you so much. As you were sharing that, I had put in here in my, in my notes a scripture I want to share with you out of Luke chapter 4. And it's the first things that Jesus has said. You know, it's important that people say that many times when someone gets up to speak, what they first say and what they end with are the mo- sometimes the most important things. Jesus gets up and he is getting ready to declare his very first words to mankind. And, uh, and this is what he says. He says, the spirit of the Lord, this is out of, he, he quotes out of something that was already written in the Old Testament, Isaiah 61. Verse 1 and 2, 
He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now listen to what he says, because it gives you a vision of what, why Jesus came. It gives you a vision of what your life is supposed to be. It says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And he's not talking about the financial poor. He's talking about those who are bankrupt in their hearts. We were all bankrupt in our hearts, weren't we? We were separated. We were doomed. We were bankrupt. Had no prosperity within us at all. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty, get that word, liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind. The thing about it is that when you're captive, When you are captive into a way of thinking, a mentality, many times you're blind to it also. You do not see it. That's why many times God will have to send someone else, someone else to point out your stinking thinking, (laughs) my stinking thinking, because I don't see it. I just don't notice it sometimes. So he says, I've come to give you liberty to those who are captive in bondage and then to open your eyes, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, he ends with this amazing phrase, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. What does that mean? And in the Amplified Bible, it gives a great explanation of what Jesus was trying to say. He says, the acceptable year of the Lord is the day when salvation and the free favors of God profusely abound. Wow. Let me say that again. When the day when the salvation, the sozo, the healing of body, mind, and spirit, everything, not just getting to heaven, the day when salvation and the free favors, because we can't earn it, the free favors, the free grace of God profusely abound. I don't know what profusely abounds to you looks like, but it's more. It's more. Profusely abounds. Have you ever poured yourself a a glass of Coke or Sprite or water or whatever, and you're not paying attention. And I think just, you know, you you get up to the top, but you forget that you're pouring somehow, you know, and you just just keep pouring. And you realize, oh, man, it's spilt over. We think that that looks like profusely abound. No, not at all. It's like it just keeps pouring over and over and over and over and over. We limit God so much of what God can do because of the way we think. We think small. We think that our problems are so big. We think the mountains in front of us can't move. And our thinking here just robs us. It paralyzes us and it robs us of God's very best. Guys, his very best for you and for me. 
and we're struggling and struggling and struggling, and God is just like, oh, please, open your eyes to see what I have for you. Open your eyes to see. <clears throat> the book of Deuteronomy is an interesting book. Uh, it is really a synopsis. It's, 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 Moses writes this book. Most of you know that Moses wrote the first four or five books of the Bible. And, uh, and then he, uh, he writes Deuteronomy. And it's sort of, it's the, the last thing he writes before he, he goes home to the Lord, basically. And he's on the edge of God's promise. And they've been wandering in the desert for over 40 years. For over 40 years. And I'm sure that, so it's sort of a synopsis. He goes back through, he kind of recaps what's happened because he's, He's now talking to a brand new generation, the generation that he brought out of Egypt. Can you imagine what that was like? Can you imagine being a slave all your life, being in bondage all your life, and now you're free? Not only are you free, but you're carrying out the treasures of Egypt with you, as Scripture says, that you're carrying all these treasures out with you. You have more stuff than you've ever had in your entire life. You think, man, that I, uh, I, I have gone to the palace, and you have this great promise of Moses, a type of Christ, saying, I've come here to save you out of bondage, to take you into what God has for you, that promised land, and it's going to be great. It's going to be great. Along the way, they saw all sorts of miracles, saw all sorts of things happen, and they get to where they're supposed to be, and we all know the story is that because of their thinking, because of their mindset of being raised in slavery, they could not think. Even though in body they were free, in their minds they were still a slave. And many of us live our Christian life just like that. In body, we say, yes, I'm free, but in our minds, it still holds us back into places of bondages, of a mentality. I call it a wilderness mentality. And Moses writes here, it's funny, he writes at the beginning, and he says this. He says, it's, it is 11 days' journey from Horeb to, by the way, of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. Now, they have gone that way before, 40 years before. And it's been an 11-day journey which should have ushered them into their promise. They're still walking it out. They're still walking out that journey for 40 years. Wow. Because Moses said, now it came to pass in the 40th year. So he lets everybody know it's been 40 years. In the 40th year, in the 11th month of the first day of the month, that Moses spoke to the children of Israel according to all that the Lord has given him. A wilderness mentality kept them in the bondage. A, a, a whole generation had to die, basically, because a new generation had to be raised up that they would think differently. Even they struggled. 
But they did enter into the promised land, praise God. I want to real quickly here before Cindy comes up, I want to share a couple of things about the wilderness mentality. I want to give you some types of what I call wilderness mentality, our thinking, that I've been shaped by my past and my tomorrows will never change. Anybody thought that way before? Of course you have. We all have. I would rather avoid certain difficulties <laughs> and responsibilities than facing them. You know that's a wilderness mentality when you think like that? I would rather, you know, no thank you, I'd rather not. I don't want to take on that responsibility or what. I want to shy away from it. Why do I have to wait? I want it now. We all need to be laughing <laughs> because that's in our minds many times. I can't help complaining, grumbling, and finding fault. It's just the way I am. I've talked with a lot of people that it's where they're at. If I can't do it my way, then I won't do it at all. It's kind of like, you know, I'm taking my football home with me if I can't play quarterback type thing. If I can't do it my way, then I won't do it at all. That's a wilderness mentality, guys. Number six, I have a right to feel sorry for myself because of the condition of my life. Self-pity is one of the most robbing things in our life that robs us of God's very best. Because we all can think of certain conditions. We can all think of certain circumstances. Why did that happen to me? Why did that come across in my life or whatever? And because that happened, my life is forever different. I, I, you know, people don't understand. They don't know what I've been through. I mean, all of these things, all of these things that are in our mind, and it blinds us from seeing God's power and God's grace and God's ability that God says, that's nothing. I can change it in a moment if you allow me to. And there's, there's, there's a, so many wilderness mentalities. I just came up with seven. And this last one, I am just a victim because of what people did to me or what others did not do for me. I, wrote, I saw a thing you may have too on Facebook this past week that Nicole wrote about the victim mentality. She said it's like a coin, two sides of the coin. One side is that I am forever angry at what people did to me, and I will never let it go. I will always remind them, and I will remind myself that I'm a victim. And the second part is that you flip that coin around. It's a mentality of entitlement, that I want something that I have not worked for, I have not done, but I want it because of how pitiful I am, I deserve it. I want to tell you, we all see all of these mentalities working in our society today, especially the victim mentality. You know, I know I struggled with that for years, and it became my greatest excuse of not taking responsibility. Well, you don't understand what 
what it was like growing up with my father. And that was my big excuse. My big excuse. And I, and I excused myself from so many responsibilities because I, I held on to that thing. Held on to that as a sense of punishment toward my father and a reminder to me of what he did to me, what he didn't do for me, whatever. I remember one day praying for my dad. I'd been praying for my dad. My dad would come to know the Lord. And God spoke. It was one of those moments where God speaks so very clearly. It just it shocks you almost. It's like, oh, my gosh, that was God speaking to me. And he said, he said this to me. He said, Doc, he says, you were hindering me working in your father's life. I'm thinking, how am I hindering? And he says, you are still a victim. When I have called you out of that, you are free. You are a free man. But yet you are still a victim when you look at your dad. And he says, because you have not truly forgiven your father, and you blame him for everything, and you will not accept responsibility. You know, responsibility is very simply, I heard a definition one time, responsibility is our response to his ability. I really like that. We really like that. Because there's sometimes we look at things, we go, man, that's just too heavy for me to carry that responsibility. But when we understand it's our response from being in Christ, a new creation to his ability. And then it takes all the pressure off, doesn't it? You just think, just, can I respond? Can I respond? And that day changed my life and my relationship with my father. It broke me. It broke me as a victim. And I realized that I was going nowhere. And I would never attain what God wanted for me. And not only that, but I was hindering others. I was hindering my own father for what God said to me. And it changed my life. And I went home and I wrote a a long letter to my father and I forgave him for everything. And I thanked him for the good things that I could see. I had to look hard. But I thanked him for the good things that I could see. And I'll tell you, that one letter changed our relationship That one letter I know brought him into the kingdom. Because the day that I said I am no longer going to be a victim of what I had no control over, but I am no longer going to be a victim now. That's that wilderness, wilderness mentality. It will keep you as a victim. That's why the children never entered in to the promised land because of their mentality. The effects of a wilderness mentality will do four things. It produces destructive attitudes of the soul. Self-criticism, self-hatred, self-rejection, feelings of being unwanted and unloved, isolation from people. It will keep you isolated from people, being that you're angry with them. Feelings of inadequacy, hopelessness, jealousy, unforgiveness, resentment and anger toward others, and depression. How many of you want some of that? 
I don't think any of us want any of that, do we? But as long as we allow our thinking to be in a wilderness situation, that will always be in our soul. It paralyzes our potential. That's why Paul was telling Timothy, Timothy, son, son, God has given you not a spirit of fear that has paralyzed you. It's your mentality. Stop thinking the way that you're thinking because God has given you a sound mind, he says. He's giving you a sound mind, power, love, and a sound mind. It hinders your relationship with other people. With you carrying a wilderness mentality, a victim mentality, whatever, it hinders your relationship with other people because you have feelings of inadequacy and inferiority. If you're unable to love yourself, how will you ever able to be able to love others? Makes you ineffective for ministry. I wrote this down. Nothing undermines Christian service more than thinking so little of yourself that you never give God a chance to use you. You just say that again. Because it needs to be more, oh. (laughs) It makes you ineffective for ministry. Listen, nothing undermines your Christian service more than thinking so little of yourself that you never give God a chance to use you. Oh, there you go. <laughs> there you got it. And lastly, it keeps you estranged from the promises and provision of God. A change of your mind is a must. Has to happen. Has to happen. A change of our mind. That's why the, the New Testament, Paul speaks so much of the renewing of the mind. So much. Let me read this one verse out of Ephesians 4. Go to the next one because it's the amplified version. I like it better. It says, strip yourselves of the former nature. Put off and discard your old unrenewed self, which characterizes your previous manner of life. He's telling you how to go from an unrenewed mind to a renewed mind, from a wilderness mentality to a mentality of liberty. It says, strip yourselves off of your former nature. Put off, put off, discard your old unrenewed self, which, char- which characterized your previous manner of life, becomes corrupt through lust and desires that spring from delusion. And be constantly renewed, I like that, constantly renewed in the spirit of your mind, having a fresh mental and spiritual attitude. And put on the new nature, the regenerate self, created in God's image, Godlike in true righteousness and holiness. Amen. Listen, guys, you cannot have a positive life with a negative mind. It's impossible. You cannot have a positive life with a negative mind. I love this. Someone, I don't know who said this, but I've, I've repeated it many, many times. He says, what lies behind us and what lies before us are are of tiny matters compared to what lies within us. Cindy, come on up, baby. Honey, please take your time. That was good. You know, I want to 
unpack 2 Corinthians 5.17 a little bit. Because I want to I read that. I love the J.B. Phillips version, um, just the way he words things. But um, it says, For if a man is in Christ, he becomes a new person altogether. The past is finished and gone. Everything has become fresh and new. And you know, I looked up the word new because I had heard somebody talk about new. You know, they're in the Greek and in the Hebrew, they have different words for one word. And they mean different things. And so I was looking up the word new. And everywhere in the New Testament where it talks about us being new creation or that we've entered into a newness of life, it uses the word kainos for new. And the word kainotis for newness. And I just want to tell you what that means because it's, it's really amazing if you think about this. Uh, kainos means of a new kind, unprecedented, novel, uncommon, unheard of, never before seen, unused and unworn. When we became a new creature, when we repented and became new, we really became new. I mean, God didn't just say, okay, um, it, I've heard this example. You have a pen, your pen runs out of ink, you toss it, somebody gives you another pen just like it. It's a new pen, but it's just like the old one. It's just got ink in it, you know? No, this kind of new is, okay, somebody hands you a pen that has buttons that can transport you to a new place. It's got 55 different types of colors on it. I mean, that's the way we're new. We, are no, we look nothing like we did before. We're totally different. <laughs> We're totally different. All right, now newness, this is newness that we are brought into a newness of life. This is what the word newness means in the Greek. In the new state of life in which Holy Spirit places us, so to produce a new state which is called eternal life. So he takes us out of the state that we're in, in this realm, in this world. He lifts us up out of that and puts us into a whole new state called eternal life. A new place. We're in a new place, guys. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. We're in a new place. He said the same spirit that raised Christ up out of hell, up out of the grave, back into his body, that's the spirit that lifted you up out of this life, out of this world, and put you into eternal life. 
Now, I don't know about you, but when I first got saved, the, the person who would come to me would say, do you know where you're going when you died? Are you going to heaven or to hell? And so I came in with the mindset that eternal life started when I died. Which is the mindset that a lot of Christians have. But you know, if you look at it that way, then what you're saying is that death has become your savior. But Jesus said, I have overcome death and, and, I, and the grave. I have taken the keys. He said, when you come to me, you are already in eternal life. You're already in heaven because doesn't it say that we're seated with him in heavenly places? We're not even here. Listen, like Doug said, our mind keeps us tethered to this realm. It makes you think, well, man, if I can just get by and, and, and Jesus will just, he'll periodically answer some of my prayers to encourage me to get by till maybe one day, hopefully in the near future, I'll die and be able to go and live eternally with him. But you know, we're just, we just struggle along in this life. We're just struggling along till one day we'll see him face to face. Jesus said, you've already seen me face to face. He said, you're in my face all the time. I'm in your face all the time. He said, stop waiting to enter into eternal life. You're already there. You're already there. Um, Romans 8, 11, it says, once Holy Spirit who raised Christ from the dead. Now I'm, I'm reading this out of the J.B. Phillips, so you don't put anything up. <laughs> I just want you to listen. Once Holy Spirit who raised Christ from the dead lives within you, he will by that same Holy Spirit, means Jesus by the same Holy Spirit, will bring to your whole being, yes, even your mortal bodies, new strength and new vitality. For now, he lives in you. Listen, guys, we are the gates that the word talks about. Open up ye gates that the king of glory may come in. He's not talking about open your gates to let him come in here. He's already in here. He's going open up gates so that he can get into this realm and change all of your circumstances and change all of the, the things that you're walking in, all the things that you've been praying about for so long, all the things you're wanting to see. He's going open up gates. Just open the gates. I'm right here. Start seeing things differently than you see them. That's what he wants us to do. Um, you know, I just want to, I just want to read one more, um, scripture because we're going to take communion. And listen, I want us to get out of that religious mindset about taking communion. 
I mean, the Lord says, eat my body and drink my blood. He's going, I want you to understand that I am filling you up. I have already filled you up. I am in you. I am changing the way you think. I'm changing the way you perceive things, the way you live. He said, I want you to understand every time you do this, remember that I am on the inside of you. You're not doing this thing. I'm doing it in you. I'm the one living in you. And so I want us, when we take communion, to think about that. But Romans 6, 4 through 7, it says, We were dead and buried with him in baptism, so that just as he was raised from the dead by that splendid revelation of the Father's power. Now listen, do we have a splendid revelation of the Father's power? Because if we do, then we were raised to new life. If we don't, then we're going to still live like we're human. God is not human, guys. We're made in his image. We are spirit beings. What we do and say makes a difference. We are a light and glory in this world. So it says, he was raised to life because he had a splendid revelation of the Father's power. So we too might rise to life on a new plane altogether. He said, get out of this realm. You're living in the wrong realm. You're supposed to be living from heaven, not from earth. Stop living like we're stuck in earth. He said, get the revelation of that that splendid revelation of our Father's power. Because if you can get that, then not only are you raised up, but you're raised up to another plane, another realm. He said, then you'll understand that you are that gateway that allows heaven in. But he says, if we have, as it were, shared in his death, we shall also share in his resurrection. Let us never forget that our old selves died with him on the cross, that the tyranny of sin over us might be broken. For a dead man can safely be said to be free from the power of sin. It's safe to say that you're free from the power of sin if you're dead, right? But then we've been raised to newness of life, so not only does the sin not affect us anymore, but we can pull others out of it too. Isn't that wonderful? That the only contact with sin we have is to drag those who are in it out of it so they can see who they really are. But you know that the word tyranny, the word tyranny means cruel and oppressive rule. And do you know we lived in tyranny from conception, from from the time we came into this realm, we, were, we lived under a tyranny. 
we didn't have control. We were, we were born into sin. We were born into that sin nature. Um, the enemy lied to us from the very beginning and told us that we didn't have a say or we didn't have a, a, any. So I, I just want you to know that God, he, he just wants you to know who you really are. That's, that's the, the thing. I, I just want to say a prayer, and then we're going to do communion. Um, can I get you to stand up and just agree with me in this? Um, you know, I, I feel like as we stand, it's like, it's like, Lord, I'm receiving this. We need to do that more. We need to, if you hear something that you're like, wow, I like that, just say, I receive that. Because the Lord says he doesn't want us just to be open to things. He wants us to go after it. So me saying, I receive that. Man, God is saying, look, she's going after it. All right? Lord Jesus, I thank you that we have been crucified with you. Who we were is dead and buried And Holy Spirit, you raised us up from the grave with you. You sat us in Jesus. We pray now that we would untether our minds from every illusion of limitation, every illusion of being merely human, every illusion that we are trapped in this earthly realm until death carries us to eternity. We repent for those mindsets, Lord, that keep us from the splendid revelation of your power to raise us up in you and open our eyes. We proclaim that we are revealed sons of God. We are open gateways to heaven. We are Jacob's ladders. We are a whole new creation. Thank you, Daddy. Thank you, Daddy. Thank you, Father. Thank you, baby. That was amazing, sweetheart. Well, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. I love doing this. I pray you do too. You know, we are celebrating 2 Corinthians 5.17 today. We are in Christ. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we remind ourselves we're in Him. We're in Him. Think about it. Just just take a moment and meditate on that. I'm in Christ. Mm. (laughs) I am in. I am in Him. Nothing can take me out of His hand. I'm in Christ. I'm in him. Come on. Just think about that. Oh, how whew, how amazing that is. Thank you, Lord. God, I begin to live in a different way, Father. I think in a different way, Lord God. Father, not only I'm in you, but I have your mind. It says that I have the mind of Christ now. <laughs> Uh, 
say, it is a happy place. We're all going to our happy place this morning. Father, we thank you, Lord God, and we celebrate your body. We celebrate your body. You say, my body's been broken for you. God, you allowed your body to be broken. Oh, my goodness. That God, we could be, that we could be a part of it. Your body had to be broken that we could share in it. We could be a part. Being a part of you, God, has changed our lives. Father, we receive, Lord, the cup today which signifies your blood, that we are of a different covenant, different, everything has changed. The rules of the game has changed. It's no longer by self-effort. It's no longer by trying to measure up, trying to be good enough. God, we have been cleansed from our past. And Father, this morning we repent, Lord God, of wrong thinking. Of wrong thinking, Lord, that it keeps us being held in bondage to that old man. We repent of wrong thinking. Guys, we've received communion. I want you to come up here. And, and as you step out for now, what we do, most of you know, is, is that we just create two aisles, two lines, and come up here, receive the bread, the cup, and go back to your seat, and we're going to receive it together here. But as we do this, we are celebrating who we are in Christ as a new creation, and we're stepping out. When you step out in that line, you're stepping out of your old mindsets. And you're saying that I am I am unifying myself with the work of the Holy Spirit that he can change my mind. It's not through just determination. Although you have a part to play, but it's by the work of the Holy Spirit that he reminds you of what the Father has said. And it reminds you of what you need to be thinking on and how you need to think. Also, that it brings you into a place, as you come up here, as you partake of the Lord's Supper today, you were saying, I'm taking the responsibility to begin to live in a different way. I am responding to His ability. And lastly, that we make a determination today that I can't live any other way. That if I have been living, I've allowed the old mindsets, the wilderness mindsets to be a part of my life. I can't live like that anymore. I've been called to a higher place. We are seated, as Cindy said, we are seated in heavenly places. We're called to our higher place. Not to be tethered down by worldly mindsets, selfish mindsets self-centered mindset but it's a vital necessity that I allow the Holy Spirit to renew my mind so won't we go ahead and come up here like horses driven by kings 
Can we all stand together in honor of the King? Hey, Kenny, good to see you this morning, my friend. Uh, you're, you're, you're right on time, bud. I want you to take your bread here. To lift it up. Father, we thank you, God. We honor you today. We are so grateful for your sacrifice. How you allowed your, 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 yourself to be so torn apart, punished for us. You took our punishment. We were at fault. And you took it for us that we would never experience that type of punishment. That we would only experience love and acceptance and grace and forgiveness and mercy and liberty. And we are so grateful because I am in you today. I receive your body. Father, we hold this cup that's filled with that which represents your blood. So much blood that was shed for me, but only only took one drop. One drop changed everything for mankind. God, thank you. Thank you, thank you that I am forgiven. I am cleansed that I am a new creation. I have a new covenant. I'm in relationship with the Father. You said eternal life is that we might know the Father. And today we celebrate Christ. We celebrate Christ. That he has brought us to the Father. That we might know the Father and live in the Father. And be, have communion with the Father. So we receive communion today because we are in communion. <laughs> so thank you, Father. Receive and drink. Hallelujah. Thank you. We've gone over a little bit this morning, but it was well worth it. I don't know. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. We will have those that will pray for you if you need prayer this morning. If you're part of the the uh, the altar ministry team, please come on up here. We want to pray with you. God bless you. We love you. Love on somebody. You're dismissed. If you need prayer, please come up here. Let us pray for you. God bless you.